This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of September 1st, 2014, and this is Michael Howley welcoming you to episode 146 of Defender Radio. It's been a long summer for those of us in the fight against the fur lobby, particularly after the events at a Quebec fur farm. The Montreal SPCA is in a battle of political will and legislative authority with the province's Ministry of Forests, Fauna and Parks, who have not acted on allegations of neglect and cruelty. But before we get to our interview with the Montreal SPCA, it's time for an exciting new Defender Radio program. Fur Industry Spin Shortly after news broke about the horrific conditions at a Quebec fur farm, the Fur Council of Canada's mouthpiece, Alan Hersovitsky, got himself in front of a CTV camera crew to talk about mink farming regulations. CTV helpfully posted the extended interview on their website, and we're pleased to bring you some highlights, as well as our own take on Alan's wonderful quotes. It's of great concern to the industry, and it's of great concern to the farmers, to the mink farmers, the fur farmers, who work very hard to care for their animals, and and they care for their animals not only as a moral responsibility, but because it's really the only way you can ensure that you produce high-quality fur is by giving the animals excellent care. Of course it's of great concern to fur farmers. Bad publicity drives down demand, which in turn drives down the price per pelt they achieve. It's kind of like General Motors saying they hate it when cars spontaneously combust. But the important part of this quote an early one from the interview, is something Alan repeats over and over again. It's the only way you can ensure that you produce high-quality furs. On the face of it, this has a certain logic. A healthy animal means a healthy fur, right? Wrong. When the only target of health is the quality of fur, a lot can fall by the wayside. We reached out to Dr. Sherry Cox, a wildlife veterinarian, to ask her to confirm or explain away Alan's comments. Animal fur can look healthy, yet animals may suffer from multiple illness and injury, such as broken bones, eyes and ear infections, emaciation from lack of caloric intake, and dehydration to name a few, she told us. A well-balanced, healthy diet contributes to good fur condition. But sadly, diet alone does not preclude other injuries and illness from occurring. And we know from evidence presented in the case of this specific fur farm in Quebec that these and many other injuries and ailments were prevalent, including dehydration, emaciation, toe fractures, tail injuries, tooth fractures, ear and eye infections, internal bleeding, and neurological issues. And again, when the incentive of the farmer is to follow those codes. There's no contradiction between animal welfare and commercial success in mink farming. This was Alan's second response to the second time the reporter asked about updating laws, regulation, and enforcement. Since there are no real requirements beyond basic land use permits and paying taxes, let alone animal welfare, there's very little regulation or oversight of fur farms. Allen again claims that high-quality fur requires high-quality care. As evidenced already, this is false. 
he did a pretty solid job, from a PR point of view, of evading the reporter's direct questions. So let's speculate on his behalf. Why wouldn't Allen and the Fur Council of Canada want regulations in law, as opposed to a voluntary code of practice? Could it be because he knows that not all farms meet this code of practice? That it doesn't truly address the emotional, mental, and physical needs of the highly intelligent animals they keep in tiny cages? Or maybe they're just afraid of something like proper waste disposal and environmental controls cutting into the bottom line. It's hard to say, but there are more arguments for regulation, particularly when virtually none exist, than there are against. The more consumers know about fur farming, the less likely they are to purchase fur products, the more likely they are to talk to their elected representatives, and the more likely we are to live in a truly humane fur-free Canada. Get more on our take from Alan's interview at FurBearDefenders.com And now we'll move forward with this week's interview. To bring us up to date on the investigation of the Quebec fur farm, the report and concerns of wildlife experts and veterinarians, and the possibility of legal action against the provincial government, is Montreal SPCA spokesperson Sophie Gaillard. Why don't you give me a bit of background? Like, let's go back to the beginning of this investigation that the Montreal SPCA has been involved in. Right. So, um, in April of this year, late April, the Montreal SPCA got a criminal um, a complaint to our inspections department, um, alleging that there were mink, mink and foxes. Um, being mistreated uh, at this fur farm. Uh, so we obtained, we visit, we tried to go on site. Um, we obtained a warrant and were able to visit for the first time on May 8th with a search warrant obtained under the criminal code. Um, and what we saw there was absolutely horrific. Um, we were able to um, recommend that criminal charges be laid with respect to the worst cases um, based on that May 8th visit. Uh, but regarding the rest of the animals, um, we decided to transfer the file to the the Ministry of Fauna here in Quebec uh, because their legislation gives them so much more power than what we have under the criminal code to act in this kind of situation. Um, and we were unable also to obtain a second warrant to go back with experts under the criminal code. So we were really hoping that the Ministry of Fauna would would uh, take take over and and step up and and uh, take on this file. Um, and so there were a number of exchanges between the SPCA and the Ministry of Fauna. Uh, they went on site in, in July. Um, and then we finally uh, did a joint inspection with them on August 4th, um, and we brought in um, very uh, renowned wildlife experts and wildlife veterinarians with us. And what the vets found when they went on site was um, extremely serious violations of the legislation. So these were animals that were severely dehydrated, up to 7% dehydration. Um, they were emaciated. They had fractures untreated infections, um, all of the, the foxes required urgent uh, veterinary care and hospitalization according to the vets um, that were on site. Um, so in short, the animals were in a critical state and what we noted for, based on, on our visit um, on our visit on May 8th and August 4th was that the situation was actually getting worse and worse over time. Um, 
So we were certain that after August 4th, after that joint visit with the Ministry of Fauna, that the Ministry of Fauna would realize how serious the situation was and, and seize the animals. And um, the FPCA repeatedly offered uh, to help pay for the cost of seizing the animals um, and also provide our expertise and any assistance organizing the seizure, placing the animals, uh, getting them the vet care that they required. All that was offered um, free of charge to the Ministry of Fauna. Um, but uh, what has become apparent now is that they're not willing to to remove the animals. Um, they have told us uh, that they're not planning a seizure and their statements in the media in the past couple weeks have uh, been in line with that. They seem to be saying that the animals are doing okay, that they're working with the fur, fur farmer, they're working with the fur farmer's vet, um, and that everything is fine. But based on what our vets, um, our experts saw on August 4th, um, it's very hard to believe that the animals are fine. I mean, these are all animals that required immediate hospitalization and very costly veterinary care. Um, so uh, basically, we, we can't really explain why the ministry is, is refusing to step up and remove the animals. Um, and what we decided to do um, at this point, uh, given their inaction, um, is to um, write them a demand letter, which we sent uh, last Friday, uh, setting out uh, all the violations of the legislation, all the powers they have under their legislation to remove the animals and seize them and confiscate them, um, and giving them a delay uh, to act. Otherwise, we will look into what kind of legal action we can take um, in order to compel them to, to act. Now, one of the things I found interesting is that the provincial representative who has been speaking to, to the media and allegedly went and visited these animals said that there is an obvious improvement in their care and steps are being taken, therefore they don't need to act. To me, this really speaks of a lack of understanding what it took to get to this point. Um, and... I, I, is there any way that the Montreal SPCA is trying to respond to that that statement that, well, he's trying to do better now? Well, it's it's very difficult for us to imagine how the animals can be receiving adequate care if they're still on site, given what we know of what the facilities look like and the resources that this person has. Um, you know, the the animals that were actually there, a couple animals were removed from the premises on August fourth, not because. Um, the ministry thought that they were, you know, that they were in critical condition, but because they were, there were a, a specific species of foxes that aren't allowed, uh, that you're not allowed to have without a permit. So they, they were okay with removing those animals for th that reason. But all those animals were transferred to, uh, our veterinary school, um, here in Quebec. Um, and they were all, you know, they re received a lot of very costly care, um, including subcutaneous fluids, um, you know, setting of fractures, um, all that kind of thing, that it's really difficult to imagine how they could possibly be, be giving that kind of treatment while the animals are still on site. Something else that I've heard, uh, and you'll be able to first verify this and then comment if you can, is that this is not the first time that the, the owner of this particular farm has had trouble with animals. Yes, that's correct. Um, he has a criminal record for animal cruelty. And there is nothing on the, the books in terms of legislation or policy that then says, if you were guilty of animal cruelty once, we're not letting you take care of animals anymore. 
Well, there is that possibility under the criminal code. Um, a judge can order uh, a prohibition order, which is basically prohibits uh, the accused from owning animals or being in contact with animals for a certain period of time. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if that wasn't done at the time or if the, the period expired, um, but certainly this is someone who, um, who shouldn't be allowed to have animals anymore. I think everybody can more or less agree on that one. Um, something that has come out that's that's very interesting is just days before the Montreal SPCA uh, sent out the press release and the news broke about this farm, uh, the Minister of Agriculture, uh, a separate ministry, a different individual, came out looking to amend the Civic Code of Quebec to increase protection for animals, um, to to try and strengthen animal cruelty laws, to lessen the degree to which they're persecuted in Quebec. Um, has there been any reaction of, of these two kind of conflicting stories of one minister saying we need to act and do more to protect animals and another very, again, in my opinion, very flagrantly ignoring cases of cruelty presented to him um, all wrapped up in a bow? Yes, well, it certainly seems like there's this a huge disconnect between these two ministries. Um, the Minister of Agriculture, Pierre Paradis, uh, seems sincere in his desire to improve Quebec's reputation and um, Quebec's treatment of, it, of its animals. Um, he, from the moment he was appointed Minister of Agriculture, he made bold statements to the effect that he wanted to improve animal protection in, in the province. Um, and he certainly seems to be uh, following up on that promise, but... Um, as for what's happening with the Ministry of Fauna, it certainly seems like there's uh, not the same type of political will there. I mean, this is these are laws that we're talking about that are already on the books that are that currently exist. There are powers that the ministry currently has. Um, we're not asking anything them to do anything extraordinary. Just apply their own legislation that already exists. So, yes, it's it's a little bit schizophrenic. <laughs> We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. After a night out with your friends, there are always options for getting home safely. You could call your BFF, take a cab, or maybe you'll grab the last bus. Now there's a smartphone app to help you choose your ride. Find out more at arrivealive.org. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Millions of animals are killed for their fur each year in Canada. You can help stop the cruelty. Join the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals today and be the voice for those who can't speak for themselves. 
Find out more at furbearerdefenders.com. This is Defender Radio. We're back with more from Montreal SPCA spokesperson Sophie Gaillard, who's catching us up on the latest regarding the Quebec fur farm that has horrified us all. And it does seem that the uh, the fur lobby has done its job very well um, in trying to sort of prevent a lot of this stuff from going forwards. They do spend money on lobbying. We have come across that. Um, and their sole goal is to promote the sale of fur in Canada. Um, and uh, Alan Hersovitsky, who's the, the spokesperson for the Fur Council of Canada, had a an extended interview with CTV, and we did do some comments on that. But one of the most disturbing things that kept coming up in his interview, which um, was clearly just a great deal of spin, was that the only way to ensure a high-quality fur is to take good care of the animals. Therefore, it's in the best interest of the fur farm owners to take care of the animals. Um, Dr. Sherry Cox, the wildlife veterinarian, who I know has worked with the Montreal Mm -hmm. SPCA, came out and said that that's kind of dumb. I'm paraphrasing Mm -hmm. her. She was actually quite intelligent in her (laughs) response. Um, Is that something that you have been coming up against during the course of this investigation? Um, Not directly, um, but yes, it's a rhetoric that we're very familiar with. It comes up in in animal agriculture as well, Um, factory farming context. It's it's the usual industry rhetoric. Um, What we have come across, though, uh, in this case, is clear indications that, yes, the fur industry is um, a powerful industry here in this province and has very likely shaped also the way the legislation um, is phrased. For example, um, in Quebec, if you own mink or fox, um, you have to own a, you have to have a permit to own them unless you have more than 10 breeding females and you're producing fur. So basically, if you're a wildlife sanctuary um, and you're rehabilitating, you know, three or four foxes, you need a permit from the Ministry of Fauna. If you're a fur farmer and you have 20,000 mink, you're producing fur, you don't need a permit, you're not subject to inspection, there's no control. So, I mean, that clearly indicates that, you know, someone from the fur lobby was um, certainly played a role in, in creating this, this kind of regulatory scheme. Yeah, I, I, I would, yeah, I don't even know how to respond mm-hmm. to that. That's just that level of ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. And I have an opinion on everything. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um the other comment that was coming about is, um, and it, it, to me, as a former journalist, it's, it's quite entertaining to watch this interview because the uh, the CTV reporter asks three times that there is no legislation directly impacting fur farms beyond, as, as you mentioned, these very simple generalized statements, um, but that the care of the animals and things like that, there are no hard and fast rules. There is simply this this policy, it's a code of conduct that's self-regulatory by the fur industry. And Alan continuously states that, um, you know, it's it's our own incentive to do a good job. So it's fine that we've got this code of, uh, code of conduct. And he actually said at one point that it is both very detailed and flexible, which to me kind of is an oxymoron, yeah. but I'm just a writer, so what do I know? Um, so... What would be the benefits in, in, in the, the eyes of the Montreal SPCA to having real legislation as opposed to this code of con or code of practice? Well, first of all, um, our policy on fur is very clear here that we, uh, we 
oppose the the exploitation of animals for fur. Um, so ideally, obviously, we would just want um, fur to no longer be able to be produced or sold um, in Canada. Um, however, uh, regarding the regulation of the practice, well, I mean, a code of conduct that's voluntary. Um, it has no legal power, so no one's enforcing it. Um, so there's really, it, it's a voluntary code of practice. I mean, it has no, no, it's not legally binding. So it's not something that, uh, for example, the SPCA or even the Ministry of Fauna, if they were willing to act on this kind of thing, could use. Moving forward, what's next? Uh, you, you've talked about looking into legal action, mm -hmm. um, but what is sort of the end game here? What is the goal of the Montreal SPCA in this well, case? What we really want is to get those animals out of there. In our opinion, it's completely unac unacceptable to have left those animals in that state, on that farm, um, and we are committed to finding a way to get them out of there. Um, we're, we're hoping that it'll be through cooperation with the ministry um, since we have offered to, to help them in this endeavor. Um, but if it comes down to uh, taking legal action, it's certainly something we're willing to do. We're not ready to give up on, on those foxes and minks that are still on that farm. And what can the average people be doing? Because when we shared this story, as you know, we're a national organization, and we have people from from Victoria to St. John saying, I want in, I want to do something. Mm -hmm. So what are the best things people can be doing as this case proceeds? Well, what people can do is uh, contact the minister, Laurent Lessard, the minister of Fauna, um, and let him know uh, how how you feel about this case and that his ministry should be taking animal uh, protection seriously and should be finding a way to remove the animals from, from this property. One of the issues that comes up when we talk about fur, and this, this happens in our arguments about trapping, about fur farming, all kinds of things, is they point to the economic impact, saying that it brings in around $800 million of revenue per year in Canada. And in a country that has weathered the economic downturn of recent years relatively well, that money certainly is welcome. So is there a way... I mean, when, when the Montreal SPCA comes out and says, we don't like the idea of animals being raised for fur, period, is there consideration into the economic impact uh, of losing that industry? Um, well, I mean, there are considerations other than economic that come into play. I mean, ethical considerations have to sometimes trump economic considerations. I mean, that can be applicable not just to animal protection, but to other areas as well. Um it's, it's simply just not acceptable to raise animals for fur, regardless of the economic impact. Uh, and then finally, um, you know, as I said, we've got, we've got a national audience here, actually international. Um, what does the Montreal SPCA, what do you want to tell people who have been following this story, who have been sending in letters, who have been talking about this around the kitchen table and around social media and the uh, water cooler? What message do you want to leave them with? Well, certainly we encourage people not to buy fur, um, not to encourage the industry in any way, shape, or form, um, and to keep pressure on, on our ministry in Quebec. Um, share your outrage with our ministry and tell them how unacceptable it is um, to be leaving animals in this kind of situation. One of In one of the exchanges following uh, the, uh, the August 4th visit on site with the ministry, um, 
Ilana was discussing with one of the discussing the fact that they they weren't planning on on conducting us and um, doing a seizure with the the one of the head officers in charge. And one of the statements he made to her was that um, all firm all fur farms in Quebec are like this one, um, and the the ministry's not going to go ahead and seize all the fur farms in Quebec. That would be ridiculous. That's a sh- very unfortunate yeah. thing to learn about. <laughs> yeah. So and that that must lead to a great deal of frustration for the Montreal SPCA to hear that kind of sentiment. Oh yeah. 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 Especially it's um it's a case that we've been working really hard on. Um, you know, we were so sure that that a seizure was going to take place that we started organizing it all, looking at all, you know, the requirements to move animals across borders, uh, getting in touch with sanctuaries. Uh, we put so much energy um, into into this potential seizure and to think that the animals are still there uh, today as we speak. Um, it's It's just, it makes you crazy. To keep up with the latest news of this investigation and find out how you can take action about fur farms, visit FurBearDefenders.com. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank Brad Gates of Gates AAA Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of this program. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.